priest Jesus Christ. Give him the courage to fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and this whole dominion. And may he forever praise and magnify you and your Son, Jesus Christ, together with the Holy Spirit, the one and only true God. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we go now to the Word of God, our text for this morning. Word and Sacrament rightly coming to us together and we turn to Second Timothy chapter 2. That's page 1268 in most of the blue ESV Bibles, at least under the seats. I think in the back you might have a different edition, slightly different page number. First Timothy, Second Timothy, uh, Titus, Second Timothy, Chapter 2, and um, if you look at the bulletin, you'll see we have four points, and uh, some of you know that when I have a four-point outline, we don't always really make it to the fourth point, and that's, that's going to happen again, and, um, and so our fourth point will kind of be a, a longer conclusion, not really another point, and related to that, we're only going to make it through the middle of verse 12. So we're going to make it through the middle of verse 12, but uh, this whole chapter does go together, and Lord willing, next Sunday morning, uh, we'll see that the rest of that faithful saying, the rest of that early Christian hymn, which is, which is what verses 12 and 13 most likely are, uh, the rest of that hymn really does go with the rest of the chapter. And so Lord willing, we'll take verse 12b to the end of the chapter uh, next week, but we'll read to verse 13, and we'll focus... Uh, through the beginning of verse 12 this morning. Let us hear the Holy Word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for... If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so far the reading of the Holy Word of God. 
dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have some conversations between siblings, like the words between Jacob and Esau, recorded for us in God's word. We have some conversations between masters and slaves, like the conversations between Joseph and Potiphar, recorded for us in God's word. We have some conversations between king and subject, like the words between uh, Saul and David, recorded for us in God's word. We have conversations between husbands and wives, like the words between Abraham and Sarah, recorded for us in God's word. And on a day when we celebrate covenant baptism, certainly we have words between uh, parents and child recorded for us in the word of God. But as we think about these human relationships, there is one human relationship which gets way more attention than any other human relationship in the word of God. Indeed, this is the kind of thing where it is not easy to do a word count, and I didn't like find somebody who did the word count for me. But if we were to take the word count of conversations in all different kinds of human uh, relationships, there is one which I am confident would have more words recorded in, in it than all those other relationships put together. Because there is one human relationship which receives much more attention than any other human relationship in the word of God. And that is the relationship between God's appointed teachers and God's hearers. In the Old Testament, they are called prophets. In the New Testament, they are called preachers. That relationship and those conversations get far more attention than any other human relationship. And this is exactly how it should be. Because the most important relationship is the relationship between God and man. And the relationship which speaks to that and the relationship that we should all always be in is the relationship between preacher and hearer. You might not have siblings or you might not always live close to your siblings in your life. You might not be married. You might not always be in the workforce or always in the same place in the workforce. And even if we think about uh, parents and children, Psalm 128 calls children arrows in the hand of a warrior. Why? Because the image is that parents hope to shoot arrows out into the world. But you should always be either a preacher or a hearer. Because that is the human relationship that relates most directly to the relationship between God and man. And certainly, 2 Timothy chapter 2 is all about preachers and hearers. Even especially about preachers in the first half of the chapter, more directly addressing hearers in the second half of the chapter. And so, uh, we'll work through uh, this chapter with the same theme this week and next Sunday morning, Lord willing, this theme, to endure in the teaching and hearing of the Christ-centered gospel. Endure in the teaching and hearing of the Christ-centered gospel. And uh, we'll look especially at our first three points, publicly entrusted teaching, verses 1 and 2, diligently focused teaching, verses 3 to 7, 
historically true preaching. Verses 8 to 9. Again, preachers and teachers are especially the focus of the first half, but the teachers are, are assumed, the hearers are, are assumed they are there, and the hearers are more directly addressed in the second half of the chapter. And let's begin with this, the publicly entrusted teaching, verses 1 and 2. Like 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy is, is a personal letter. It's a personal letter from one preacher, the Apostle Paul, to another uh, young New Testament minister, Timothy. But 2 Timothy is even more personal. Uh, 1 Timothy often has that semi-public feel to it. It's often plain that it's not just Timothy who's being addressed. 2 Timothy is more intensely personal and uh, almost to the point where we say, what is the Holy Spirit doing? Why is this word for us? But certainly it is for us. The Holy Spirit has chosen to give all of the church this personal letter for our instruction, these personal words from one preacher to another. And that intensely personal focus of Second Timothy is certainly here as the second chapter begins. You then, my child, as Paul calls Timothy more than once in the New Testament, be strengthened by the grace that it is in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 2, if we kind of step back and, and, and paraphrase it in slightly different words, and if we think about the fact that the Apostle Paul is ready to die, as he's going to speak about in chapter 4, indeed he will soon be executed by Nero, what, is, what does the Apostle Paul say? He says, I have taught you, and you must teach the next generation. I will not be around any longer to do it. The torch is being passed, Timothy, and you on top of all your other ministerial duties, must make sure that you take time to train the next generation of faithful ministers and entrust to faithful men this, this word, this calling. Now, another reason why we have this intensely personal letter from one preacher to another given to the whole church, is because preaching does not have trade secrets. Preaching is to be something where the training from one generation to another should be a very evident and public thing. Indeed, that is the very way that the Apostle Paul speaks about it here in verse 2. What does he say about the, about the teaching that he's given to Timothy? as a teaching which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Certainly, Timothy had many hours of personal instruction with Paul as they traveled on missionary journeys together and as they went from one place to another. And uh, they, they had many times when they would have spoken just the two of them. But the essence of the message, the essence of what is passed on is something that Timothy has heard proclaimed by Paul from one congregation to another, from one city to another, from one synagogue to another, as, as the apostle is, is laboring to uh, begin the, the New Testament church. This is a public word. There's no trade secrets here. There's nothing behind doors here. This is to be a publicly proclaimed message and the teaching 
that you have had is essentially a public teaching. And here we can think especially about Ephesus and what is going on there in Ephesus and the, and the false teachers there and that this is a reminder, not just to Timothy, but to everyone in Ephesus that they have heard the message. Jesus Christ builds the New Testament church upon the foundation of the prophets and apostles, Ephesians chapter 2. And going to Ephesus, the elders have even received a special charge from Paul. They have, they have benefited from part of his ministry. They have benefited from a special love that he has for them and special charges that he gave to them years before the charge that Paul gave to the Ephesian elders recorded for us in Acts chapter 20. And so Timothy is now to stand, to stand on this publicly proclaimed word. Don't say anything new, Timothy. It's true that preaching should have, say this, application and illustration in up-to-date language. But the essence of what the preacher is called to do never changes. We are sinners. Jesus Christ is our only Savior. Proclaim that truth. Proclaim that truth. Endure in teaching the good news of Jesus Christ. It has been rightly said that we see here, in, especially in verse 2, the earliest traces of a theological school. Now, for the New Testament church, they're probably some years away from building an actual building for that purpose. We know that there was a shortage of New Testament ministers. So, for example, when Paul writes to Titus, and Titus is in Crete, we get the picture that Titus is the only preacher on the whole island of Crete, and he's serving a number of churches on that island. And uh, we have the, the early New Testament ministers who are named being sent from one place to another. There's a general shortage of ministers. They're a long ways away from building an actual building for a theological school. Although at some times in the history of God's people, we do see that, such as in 2 Kings chapter 6, when in the days of Elisha, they are able to build a building for the teaching of the next generation of prophets, the sons of the prophets. But for now, for now, the teaching is going to mainly be in ministerial apprenticeships, ministerial internships. And this is the pattern which has repeated itself in the history of the people of God. We could think of our own nation. What was the early pattern as the first Christians came uh, across the Atlantic Ocean? Well, at first, ministers were trained in apprenticeship uh, and um, ministerial apprenticeship, internship settings, and then eventually they're able to build log colleges, etc., and that becomes the foundation for all higher learning in the United States. And so uh, there's probably not a theological building school yet, but we see here that pattern being established. We see here the earliest traces of a theological school and so all of this without trade secrets, all of it being this, this same essential public message which is to be taught from one generation to another. And then as, the, as uh, young Timothy receives this message and this charge and reminders of his 
ordination may also be in mind here as part of what Paul is saying. He, he then hears three illustrations from the Apostle Paul about how he is to be diligently focused in this ministry. This takes us to our second point. Timothy is to share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then that soldier imagery is continued in verse 4. Then the imagery of an athlete is taken up in verse 5. And then the imagery of the hardworking farmer in verse 6. Timothy has to be uh, willing to suffer. He must be willing to put the interests of others before himself, which is how the Apostle Paul describes him in Philippians chapter 2. And what a challenging description that is. I'm, this is one preacher to another, but brothers and sisters, surely there is application for all of us as we consider this charge and how Timothy is to go about his labors. He's, he's to be willing to suffer. In that daily sense of being willing to put the interests of others before himself, and also uh, possibly in the violent uh, sense. Nero is on the throne. The, the Apostle Paul, this is not his first Roman imprisonment. This is his second Roman imprisonment. It is not the house arrest of Acts chapter 28. He is most likely literally in a dark dungeon. He is awaiting his death. And Timothy, as now becoming a more prominent leader, that may, that may be what he has to face in the not-so-distant future as well. Whatever kinds of sufferings, Timothy must be willing to face them as a soldier of Christ. He must be ready to serve the one who has enlisted him. He must not be distracted by civilian pursuits. And then the second illustration, like an athlete, Timothy has to be ready to compete according to the rules. You know, if um, if we if we take this into a modern track meet and use slightly updated language for the same illustration, now, if you do not run in your lane, you will be disqualified. Disqualified. You will not receive the crown. You will uh, you will be cut out of the standings because you have cut out the path that was given to you. And so Timothy is not to drift from the calling that he has had. He cannot take away the sharp edges of the word of God. He can't drift out of his lane. He has to be a minister according to the rules. He has to be willing to go around the whole track. And so now let's, let's use the 400 meters. You've got to be willing to go all the way around the track. You can't just do the parts of the track that you want. Nobody, nobody can, can say, I want to compete in the 400 meters, but I really just don't like those turns. I only like the straight parts of the track. Apostle Paul is saying, Timothy, all of the duties of ministry, including the things that are not as easy, things like standing against false teachers, and calling them to repent, which is going to be our focus next week as we come to the second half of this chapter. Things like dealing with struggling hearers who need to be called to repent, which is also there in the second half of this chapter. All of the aspects of Christian ministry, Timothy, you must do them all. You must run all the way around the track and stay in your lane. God has given us rules. 
God has given us standards. As a minister, you must be a leader in those things. And for all of this, like a hard-working farmer, the labor of Timothy must be diligent. Again, to take the same basic illustration, but to, to use uh, updated language, a, a farmer cannot punch out early. A farmer cannot do the, the bare minimum. The crop is there, and the crop needs to come in. It's, it's a very visible work, and it demands hard work. And so we are thankful from one generation to another for hardworking farmers. And then that's the picture we have here. Maybe Timothy's work is not so visible. Maybe your work is not so visible. Maybe it's not so plain for everybody driving by to see if you left a third of the crop out there. But whatever your kind of work is, we're called to do it in full. We're called to do it diligently. Certainly that's the word from Paul to Timothy here. Labor diligently with self-discipline. Be like a hard-working farmer. Again, brothers and sisters, these are not just words from one preacher to another. Oh, this is this is word that has application for all of us. We are all called to be diligent like the hard-working farmer. We are all called to run the race of faith which God has laid out for us. We are all called to be soldiers of Jesus Christ as Ephesians chapter 6 and other texts so plainly teach us. We are all to live under Christ's banner and for his service, whatever our day-to-day duties are. And all of this, again, it's as a soldier of Christ Jesus, verse 3. That's how it That's how it starts. Everything is Christ-centered. And so the apostle comes back to to the essence of that Christ-centered message in one of the places where the gospel is summarized in short form form in verses 8 and 9. This is our third point, historically true teaching. The same essential historical truth, what Jesus Christ has accomplished in time and space, That is what must be proclaimed from one generation to another. That is the task from one preacher to another. That is what one generation of hearers to the next generation of hearers must be hungry to hear. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The good news of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Christian message... And the calling of preachers, it is not like so many other professions. I'm just going to use one other as a, as a contrast and example. Think of, think, of, think of doctors. Doctors build up knowledge from one generation to another. They experiment. Right? They, they, they say, we hope this, we hope this remedy will work. We're going to try this medicine. We're going to try this medicine on this many patients. And, and, they, and they build up knowledge, right? They look back and they say, well, the, 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 the doctors in, the, in, this, in this decade, in this decade, in this decade, they, they all tried this and this and this, and we're, we're all building up. We're all trying different things. And we're looking for the best medicine, the best treatment. And it's a, it's a continually building base of knowledge. And in that way, it's changing. 
And then another thing is different because, because all people's bodies are different. And so some people are going to react differently to different medications. Sometimes a medication is going to be an effective treatment. But then for another person, the same medicine will, will not be an effective treatment. It's in, in this way, we can, we can speak about it as being an educated guess with one generation building off of another. It is so much different from preachers. Don't build up. Preach the same historical truth. Yes, updated illustrations, updated language for application, addressing each generation and each generation's particular sins, those kinds of things, but the essence of the message does not change. Jesus Christ and what He has done and who He is and what our relationship is to Him. The most important human relationship is the relationship between preachers and hearers. The most important relationship is a relationship between God and man. And the only way that we are brought together is in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Remember Him. Preach Him. And this is a historically true message. This is not an experiment trying to build knowledge from one generation to another. No, we're declaring what Jesus Christ did accomplish when He came. And we all have the same spiritual problem. We are all sinners. And we all have only one spiritual remedy to look to Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. We need the Christ-centered gospel. Proclaim it. Hear it. Know who He is. He is the risen One. He is the reigning One. That's the focus of the, of the short summary given here. Risen from the dead. Apostle Paul is not on a deathbed. He's in a death dungeon. Soon to face his death. Remember the risen Savior. The ruling Savior. That's the emphasis of the Son of David here. It reminds us that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne. The one who fulfills the prophecy made so long ago to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The prophecy repeated again and again by God's prophets and preachers in different language. He is the rightful King. He is the risen and reigning King. He is both our only Savior and to be our only Lord. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances of your life, it doesn't matter what the circumstances of your nation, your empire are. It doesn't matter if Nero, one of the most wicked rulers this world has ever seen, is sitting over that vast Roman Empire. It doesn't matter if He has you in a dark dungeon in His own city. It doesn't matter if He is soon going to behead you. Christ is King. He's the risen King. And He will return. And so endure. Endure in this Gospel whether our difficult circumstances are so visibly evident as the dark dungeon faced by the Apostle Paul, 
are so discouragingly evident as someone like Timothy who must labor against this false teaching and hearers who are being tempted by it. The New Testament church is so young. Do we already have to face so many trials? And of course, the church has been imperfect and faced trials ever since. And God's people have individually faced sometimes intensely dark dungeons in their own lives. All kinds of different circumstances, all kinds of different surrounding world circumstances, all kinds of different surrounding church circumstances. Remember Jesus Christ. The problem is always the same from one generation to another. We are sinners. And the Savior is always the same from one generation to the next. Jesus Christ came, who died, who rose, who reigns. And so the apostle speaks of that reward that we have in him. This is the reason why he endures. He knows that however bound he is, the word of God is not bound. Verse 9. He knows that God can even use his witness of being imprisoned for the advancing of the gospel. It is an encouragement that God's people have even been willing to face martyrdom singing the praises of Jesus Christ. The apostle is willing to endure everything for the sake of the elect. May he be used for the watering and the planting. God gives the increase, as he says in 1 Corinthians 3. And what an increase God gives. Because for all of the mess of this world, when we trust in Jesus Christ who came from heaven into the mess of this world and suffered that which no one else can or could suffer, trusting in him, repenting of our sins, then we have glory. And so, taking it explicitly beyond a personal teaching from one preacher to another, the Apostle Paul then quotes from the saying is trustworthy. The, the saying, almost certainly this was an early Christian hymn, the poetic balance of it is, is not even lost in translation. We can even see it here in the English. It's four lines. We'll look at lines three and four, Lord willing, next week. What is line one? If we have died with him, we will also live with him. What is line two? If we endure, we will also reign with him. May this gospel be preached from one generation to another. May this gospel be heard from one generation to another. It is the good news. Amen. Let us pray.